Hey friends, welcome to this episode of the Waterworks Ministries podcast. I am Reverend Karen Weiss, your host, and am so pleased that you are joining us for the second part of my interview with Reverend Brent Salzgiver. We should note that there is some adult content and language, and so we would recommend that you do not listen to this podcast with children. I, If you have not listened to the first part, I encourage you to go back to and listen to that, and then listen to this as it is in a series and will make a little bit more sense if you listen to part one first. Waterworks Ministries is first and foremost a ministry of prayer, And we do prayer through empowerment, knowledge, and nurture, through activities like spiritual direction, coaching, training and retreats, and also anti-human trafficking awareness and advocacy. Check out our website at www.waterworksministries.org and drop us a note. Tell us what you think of our podcast. And also check us out on Facebook at Waterworks Ministries. Enjoy part two. Here we go. All right, well, we're back with Brent, and Brent, why don't you continue talking about your reorientation to the world of spiritual stuff and Gary? So, I mean, I I quickly had to admit, you know, in, in the first step, it's admitting that you're powerless over alcohol and that your life is unmanageable. For me, that wasn't hard to admit, um, the powerlessness part. I mean, I could, I could understand that. Um, the manageability I struggled a little bit with when I was alone, which is one of my problems. Um, I, was a, I alienated myself a lot. Um, and uh, one of the things um, As I began to look at it, um, was that you know the person that told me to change everything, that to stop drinking, I only do two things: don't pick up a drink and change everything, um, was right. Um, and my life was being managed by my wife and other people. Mm. Um, so I didn't have, you know, I had what, you know, everyone's bottom's different, um, but I didn't have DUIs. I didn't have, um, you know arrests. I didn't have any of those things. Um, was it because I didn't do it? No, it was because I just didn't get caught. Mm-hmm. Um, so I then looked at it and, and I said, well, my main goal was to walk this road of recovery. Mm-hmm. Um, and when I left everything um, and put that first, that's when I started to see some of the changes take place. Um, but in the first couple months of sobriety, there's a lot of, you know, realization and, um, you know, pink clouds and wonderful moments. And then as you start to dig into it, you hit the point where you go, okay, the problem is actually me Hmm. and I got to get rid of all of this stuff. Um, and the way I wanted to do it was to sit alone and be all comfortable and and do it and my sponsor said you're an idiot um (laughs) he said we're called to be accountable Mm. 
And I was like, I know that word. That's a church word. Um, <laughs> I don't do it well. Right. And I'm bad at it. Um, but he was right. Um, so we sat down and I started to realize so much stuff about my life. Um, you know, in high school, I didn't wear jeans until the last year, the last week of my senior year. Any other times, it was khakis and t-shirts. That was my go-to comfortable thing. Anytime I, I would always wear long sleeves that were always rolled up um, because I hated the fact that I was so skinny. Mm. And I hated me for that. So I look back on most of my relationships that I had and... I apologize to anyone who's hearing this who I have not talked to and apologized yet. But up until my wife, um, the idea of staying committed to someone didn't matter to me. Because I hated myself so much that if someone gave me attention, I was going to jump to that person. Um And looking back, I began to see that all of these problems were just things that I carried on. Um, things that um, I bought into the idea of giving my will over to God rather than aligning my will with God's will. And the mm -hmm. difference in that is choice. Mm -hmm. And that's what I began to see. And now that I began to understand that I had a disease... And that this disease wants to kill me every day of my life. And that it will be like that no matter what. Every day. Um, you know, I'm two years going on three years sober. I will still walk in the grocery store and see alcohol. And my now my first thought is that's poison. I mm. see it as poison for me. But... Um, I may have that thought of, I could get away with a six-pack, but it would never just end. Um, we call that playing the tape forward. What's it going to mm. look like? You know. Mm. So after that first drink, I'm going to lose two weeks probably. Mm. Then I'm going to lose my job. Then I'm going to lose my family. Uh, okay, probably a pretty bad choice. Um, but I started recognizing that that choice became so much bigger than just do I drink or not. It became, how do I live a life of recovery? Not just, how do I survive? Or how do I just not drink? So I actually had a, a need for a stronger faith because my life depended on it. Mm -hmm. And I think that's one of the differences we tend to see in churches versus... Um, some of the fellowships uh, of addiction that meet in our churches as well mm -hmm. is that they're at a place where their faith is life or death, mm -hmm. where that's not the case for some of us who sit in the pews. For some it is, mm -hmm. um, or they may just not recognize it as that. Um, and I think that's more the case. Mm -hmm. um, so I had to start over with who, not only who I wanted to be, but who God wanted to be, God wanted me to be. And that had to start with me getting back into a right and honest relationship with God. Mm -hmm. um, you know, so I remember 
that year coming out of rehab, um, being profoundly moved on Good Friday and throughout all of that. Because for me, I not only understood that I was included in that grace, but I accepted that. Mm. And that's something different that I wasn't able to do. Um, and that doesn't mean I, you know, let everything go. No, I still had a whole lot of work to do. But that was the first start that I needed, was the beginning of that, of, of reconnecting that relationship with God. And that's something that I think most, well, a lot of people anyway that I've talked to, like you, they can look at other people and say, oh, you're included in God's grace. You're included in God's grace. But actually turning the mirror mm -hmm. to face themselves, myself included, yeah. is kind of like eating nails. Right. Oh, it is. Um, there was never a point, you know, when I'm going through my list of resentments or people I need to make amends to. Um, there's a reason my sponsor said, don't do it all at once. You'll relapse. <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, that there are reasons why the steps look the way they do. Um, and I had to go through the hard part of digging through that and recognizing that the very things that I hated about myself were the very things that I was made in God's image. Mm -hmm. Um, and... I began to accept that and some really funny things happen when you begin to accept that I mean for me um, I was always except for when I was a baby I was huge but I was always skinny um, my running weight in college was like 123 which is ridiculous um, and it was just my metabolism mm. um, but I hated it but what took me to being okay with it is coming out of rehab and gaining a whole bunch of weight mm. And then I became okay with that. And once I became okay with myself, my body began to balance out. Mm -hmm. um, because you can't expect years of abuse you put on your body to go away, you know, in a week or two. Mm -mm. Um, you know, so as I saw some of those physical changes, I recognized that they only came because of the spiritual changes. Mm. Um, I started to realize that before when I would think, oh, I'm so tired and I would sleep and I'd wake up and I'd go, I'm still tired. I've gotten all the sleep or, um, you know, all of these things. I realized that within us, there's really two parts to us. There's our physical side and there's our emotional and spiritual side. I realized that what was hurting wasn't my physical side, but it was the, it was the spiritual uh, and the emotional um, and recognizing the difference in those two. That sometimes when I'm really tired, it has nothing to do with being really tired. Mm -hmm. It's that I'm spiritually void. Yeah. Um, and recognizing that um, changed my relationship. And I began to understand how you can be in constant communication with God. Hmm. Um, especially when you're still dealing with triggers and whether or not you're going to relapse or what that's going to look like or um you know dealing with you know the stupid things i've done or the thoughts i've had um and i began to realize as i also went through scripture that that jesus never looked for perfection you know mm -hmm. perfection came through him 
Um, and that allowed me to give myself some of that grace that God gave me to say, you know, it's not about being perfect. It's a mm -hmm. process. Um, so that's when the change began. Um, and then it just changed in pretty much every aspect um, of my life. I started um, looking at who I wanted to be and who God wanted me to be. Um, as a pastor, that changed drastically. Mm -hmm. um, what did that process look like for you? Like, did you honestly sit down? Well, you said that you don't like to journal. Right. So did you just, one of your, you know, what I'll quote, air quotes, devotional time? Uh-huh. Did you just like sit there and stare at the ceiling and go, okay, God, what do you want me to be? You know, how do you want me to be? Like, what did it look like for you to ask that question? Right. Um, well, one of the things that I did that actually started this in rehab, my first day of rehab, I still was fighting the fact that I need to be there or not. So I said, God, I said, if you want me here, I said, every day, show me that this is where I need to be. Mm. Oh, put up or shut up. Yeah. Um, I was like, God loves those challenges. I was like, and the day you, I was like, and the day you don't show me is the day I'm leaving. Um, and every day there was something. And it was always, to me, um, huge. Mm -hmm. um, you know, whether it was um, a movie night and recognizing that um, the movie that we watched was uh, the Will Smith movie, um, was his son and he doesn't have a job. Happiness? Yes. Something about happiness. Something happiness. Anyways, um, that um, there's a part where they stay at a um, shelter. Mm. The shelter is at Glide, which is a United Methodist church mm. that one of my uh, friends who I graduated seminary with is now an associate pastor there. So it was things like that. Mm. That was like, look, you know, I'm here and you're here and I'm going to be here with you, but you got to put the work in. Mm. Um and that kind of allowed me to put my trust in God mm. um, because that wasn't there. You know, I may have thought I had it, but I really didn't. I had trust in me, which was a false trust, mm -hmm. um, which was the, the ego mentality of I got this. Um, but that began to change um, what my relationship with God looked like. So before... Um, you know, the idea of meditation time was just, or devotional time was maybe I would read something, mm -hmm. um, but probably not. And if I was going to read scripture, it was either for a sermon I was doing or for a, a Bible study I was doing. Yeah. Um, and I quickly realized that that had to change. And once I made the decision and got mm -hmm. into it, I realized that I couldn't go through my day without it. Mm -hmm. that I would that I could easily look at my day and realize it was noon and I was pissed off at the world and cranky and everything made me mad and I'd look back at my day and I'd go why is this mm -hmm. and it was always evident that those days came about when I skipped my time with God mm -hmm. um, you know that one-on-one -on -one time where I can be real um, and I had to look at you know how was I taught to pray mm -hmm. Do I still believe that? You know, what do I believe God is? You know, one of the greatest questions someone asked me, and I think they were kind of surprised with my response, was, do you think it was in God's plan for you to become an alcoholic? 
and I could see the I could understand where they were coming from. Were they a United Methodist? Yes. <laughs> and I understood, but it actually it gave me the chance to think about that mm-hmm. because that was because that was actually a thought. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, was this part of God's plan? But then I had to realize as I went back through Scripture and had to understand, okay, who do I believe God to be? Mm-hmm. Because I never did any of that. You know, what I may have done it in seminary, but I drank that. You know, I drank those brain cells away a while ago. Um, so, you know, who was that? And I, and I began to see that God is not a magician. God is not a hitman. Um, God is not a puppet master. Um, God allows us free will in the ability to make those choices. And God uses us and puts us in places where we can do that. But it comes down to our choice whether or not we will. Mm-hmm. Um, He's also not Santa Claus. That's true. Don't forget about Santa. Well... I'll wait until after Christmas and see if I get a PlayStation, and then we'll decide. <laughs> but, um, we, you know, and once I began to see that, um, I began to take hold mm. of my choices in some of this. And recognizing that in my act of addiction, um, I really didn't have a choice. I didn't know mm. or admit that I had a disease. But once I found that out, the choice became mine. If I relapsed, that was a choice I made. Um, yes, the disease falls into it, but once I know about it, that mm-hmm. changes everything. It's almost like a diabetic who then mm-hmm. says, oh, I know I'm diabetic, but I'm not going to do anything about it, and I'll be fine. No, you're not going to be fine. Yeah. Um, play the tape forward. It's going to end pretty bad. Um, and the same went for me. Um, so I started looking at, at what does that mean for me? And I realized... Mm-hmm that what I was missing in my life might be what other people are missing and that what I was getting out of my interaction with men and women who also struggled with addiction. And that is a real-life, practical, day-to-day theology Hmm. that wasn't based on fluff, that wasn't based on things that we say because we don't know what else to say mm-hmm. in difficult situations um, and was one that could be real. Um, somehow in our world, and we got the idea that when we come to church, we dress up and we pretend like everything's okay and we leave our shit outside. Church needs to be the opposite of that. Mm-hmm. Um, and once I realized that I needed that, I then began to say, okay, maybe God's using me because Mm -hmm. some other people may need that. Mm -hmm. Um, but that couldn't have happened without the recognition that I literally could not live Mm -hmm. without that relationship with God. Mm -hmm. Um, so that had to become, um, one of the main focal points of my road in recovery. Mm. Um, I've never recovered as an alcoholic. Well, I am when I die, but, you know, until then, I'm not. So it's still a process. Mm-hmm. Um, and that allowed me also to recognize that I have to make time for me and God, mm. not me leading other people to God. 
And there's a difference that I think sometimes, whether it's something taught in seminary or somewhere as clergy, we miss that. Mm-hmm. And maybe that's because we go from funeral to funeral and never grieve, or maybe it's because we think we have to put on a certain persona to be the pastor. Mm-hmm. Um, and I realized that for me, all of that was really crap. Mm-hmm. I had played that role, and that got me a pretty good seat in AA. That's about <laughs> it. Um, yeah. You know, so so it was finding out, you know, who I wanted to be and who God called me to be. Mm-hmm. Um, and do, and is that process over? No, it's it's ongoing. Yeah. Um, and it there's always like a back and forth. Yes. Between, well, and even stages of life. Mm-hmm. Like you're in a very distinct stage of life. In 15 years, you're going to be in another distinct stage of life. Right. You know, so it's all about where are we at the time? Yeah. And how can... How can we be the brightest light that we can be in that moment? Yeah. And one of the hard things to understand that is to recognize for me that I am not perfect, Mm -hmm. but deeper than that, that I actually have character flaws (laughs) and that I'm okay with that now. Mm -hmm. Um, And to be able to grow, I think you need to understand and be okay with the areas that you're not strongest in. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's where for me, you know, I was taught that, well, you know, one of the things that really cracks me up is, um, one Thursday, three, uh, what I call old heads, which are people in recovery who have been there a long time, mm-hmm. um, who have many, many years of, um, sobriety and they just stopped by my office and they're like, do you got a couple minutes to talk? In my head, I'm going, what the hell are these guys doing here? I don't want to, you know, at that point, I wasn't sure about what I was going to do with my anonymity. I wasn't, mm-hmm. you know, I wasn't sure. And I'm like, okay. <laughs> um, but what they were doing was pulling me in more. Mm. Um, and they were making sure that I wasn't going to fall into the traps that some people fall in. Um, whether that's isolation or whether that's putting yourself back around the friends who said, Hey, it's okay that you're doing what you're doing when in reality it's not, and they're not really your friends Mm -hmm. because they're the ones who stop talking to you once you go to rehab. Mm -hmm. Um, your real friends are the ones who end up talking to you more once you get out of it. Mm -hmm. Um, or who say, you know, I'm in the same boat you are, or I might be in the same boat, or can you talk to my sister or something like Mm -hmm. that. Um, you know, and as those, um, choices began to get made, um, and I began to be okay with those character defects, I began to look at, okay, how can I then grow closer to God knowing those and being okay with that and recognizing that I don't have to be perfect, nor do I have to play like I'm perfect. Yeah. Um, and it allowed me to kind of see the world in a different way um, and see other people in a different way. Um, and that was all through as I grew in my relationship with God. Mm-hmm. Um, 
you know, one of the ways, you know, we try to, I think sometimes we fool ourselves with spiritual practices. Um, and we, we, I'm thinking of one of my good friends who, um, when I first met her or got to know her pretty well, she had this, um, Stephen Covey, like planner thing. Mm -hmm. And reading the Bible was one of her things on her to-do list. And like, she just, she would check it off. She's like, oh, yep, did that. Did it make any transformation in her life whatsoever? Of course not. None. Um, yeah, and I had yeah. a, I had a lot of those, um, and I realized I was like, I'm, why am I wasting my time, mm. um, and and why am I continuing to perpetuate this myth that once you're a Christian, everything's okay mm. and everything's perfect, and you know, because that's a big old bag of manure, yeah, <laughs> that festers and sits in the sun and gets warm and then smells worse that's right um you know so you know as, as i began to see that um i had to make some changes to my spiritual practices mm. um and kind of what it looked like and recognizing that it can look different and that's okay um it doesn't have to look like what the church says it has mm. to look like um to give an example. I knew you were going to say that. No. Um, <laughs> we are talking about self-care. I know, I know. Uh, one of the things that, to my surprise, I not only have started doing, but have also started teaching and doing, is a form of prayer called coloring prayer. Hmm. Um, and it's used predominantly when you're praying for a person or a specific group of people. Hmm. So um, let's say that, I'm going to be praying for someone who's going to the hospital. So I'm praying for Bill. So I write Bill's name on a piece of paper. And I have colored markers all around me. Um, and so I will start with, let's say, red. And, you know, I'll pray for courage. And I'll draw a picture in that red. And every time my pen hits the paper, God give him courage. God give him courage. I pick another color, um, you know, be with the doctors, give them focus, and it would just repeat. Mm. Um, and at the end of that, um, I realized that I would have a more sincere interaction with God than I would sitting down, closing my eyes, spending half the time going, stay on topic, stay on topic. Mm. <laughs> um, you know, because I'd start with, you know, God, please be with Bill. And then two minutes later, it's, oh, don't forget to pay that bill. Mm -hmm. Um, and you know, it goes, my mind goes elsewhere. That's part of my character defect. Mm -hmm. Um, so I found a different way. Um, and one of the things that I found is, is that I liked it. Mm -hmm. Um, and that was one of the huge differences is that I've stopped doing things that I don't grow from. Mm -hmm. I don't have to like them because liking is not part of all of Christianity. Let's be honest about that. Um, but I began to give myself over to it. And I began to understand what it meant to align my will with God versus blindly giving my will over, which God doesn't want. God doesn't want a bunch of zombies going, what do you want? I mean, that's like me saying, I want to eat better. God, I'm giving you my will. And then sitting there and going, okay, why am I still eating yeah. Snickers, God? I gave you my will. Why aren't you... 
no, there's a choice in this. Mm-hmm. Um, and sometimes that choice is saying, I need to be closer to God. Mm-hmm. Um, and I had to look at how I prayed and how I taught people to pray, mm-hmm. um, you know, and recognizing that um, I think now what churches are missing most is a sense of realness and practicality. Mm-hmm. Um and without that, for me as a Christian and as a pastor, I'm just playing a game. Yeah. It's interesting to me that, and I don't know if this is just because I'm noticing it more or whatever, but church doesn't seem to have a lot to do with life No. anymore. And I don't know if that it's just been that way forever. Um, I hope not. Yeah, <laughs> but yeah, they're like the, the platitudes, like oh well, God, you know, God obviously must have planned for you to be in rehab, right? Or um, you know, oh well, it's God's will; it'll work out. That yeah, if it, it doesn't make people feel better anymore. Not that feeling no. good is the purpose, but there's some there needs to be a reconciliation between who we think God is, right? And how we treat ourselves. Right. And, yeah. Um, You know, the amount of times I've heard someone say, you know, well, maybe me getting cancer is just, you know, uh, part of God's will. If God gives people cancer, I need a new job. Because (laughs) I've had the wrong understanding of who God is through scripture, experience, tradition, and reason all along. Yeah. Yeah. you know, and it's getting that fluff out of the church mm-hmm. um, that I think is essential because yeah. it was essential for my life. Yeah, I've been reading this book by Gregory Boyd. Um, it's like Satan and the Problem of Evil, mm-hmm. a Trinitarian Warfare Theodicy or something <laughs> like It's a very long title and it's a very fat book. I think I'm on page like 250. It sounds like a page turner. It, Yeah. <laughs> it's a textbook, and I didn't realize that when I bought it. Um, it's by IVP Academic. Mm. I was like, I opened it up, and I was like, oh. <laughs> <laughs> but it's really fascinating because it talks about these things like, okay, well, what kind of God do we really believe in? Mm-hmm. And if God values our free will and our choice, over god's omnipotence or right you know omniscience whatever those things are characteristics that we attribute to god what does that mean for this world right and it, we have to deal with that in some way and like verbalizing that god self-limits is often really hard for people to do but then we acknowledge it in so many other ways right. without actually acknowledging it. Yeah. Well, I, I'm a prime example of the understanding of um, believing that I'm following God while at the same time not dealing with my mm-hmm. own issues. Um, and we live in a culture that tells us we're not supposed to hurt. Mm-hmm. in everything we have um and i bought into that 
buy something more. It'll right. make you feel good. Take no, this pill. Take this pill. Um, you won't have to feel anything. Yeah. Um, and that was neighborhood. Yeah, that, and that was one of the things I had to realize that part of life is pain, and that's okay. Mm-hmm. Um, but that the quick answers normally aren't the best. Mm. Um, and what I also needed was someone else to walk along with me um, that I would call and say, this is my plan, and I needed someone who knew me well enough to go stop being an idiot. This is the <laughs> dumbest idea I've heard yet. Yeah. Um, we need we need a fairly accurate BS meter. Right. From someone in our lives. Because I will talk myself into anything. You give me enough time. <laughs> Um, and I think that's something that we don't, that has been lost in the church. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we go to church and we forget the fact that corporate worship is about the we. Mm-hmm. Um, our personal, you know, relationship with God, that's where the I comes in. Um, but within that, part of that is sharing that. I mean, you, you made the wonderful and politically correct term, which I'm not going to use, of crap. Um, But one of the great stories is of manure, Mm. of the history of manure, because what had happened um, early on was there was, and I don't remember the book, but it talked about it, and it talks about this farmer's different tactics for dealing with crap, Mm. and uh, at first he buried it, which is what I did. Mm. Um, What happened with that? Nothing. Everything just dunk for years <laughs> and got worse right like, Woo, so so then he had the idea to burn it that <laughs> didn't work either because then literally it just stayed on fire forever yeah. i don't know that because i camp i know that because i like any show that has to deal with living out in alaska um <laughs> or being naked and afraid um but still <laughs> um we, you know, and then finally they realized that the only way to take something stinky and crappy and mm-hmm. for the most part bad and turn it into something good is to spread it and share it. Mm-hmm. And that's where growth comes out of. The same thing happens with us. But we're scared as hell to do that because Mm -hmm. it means you have to look inside and recognize that, one, I've made some bad choices. Two, I may not like the person who I've become or who I am, or I may still have resentments towards my parents, Mm -hmm. you know, or whoever. Um, And recognizing that if we bury that, no good's going to come out of it. If we just try to throw it away without dealing with it, no good's going to come out Mm -hmm. of it. The only way growth can happen is if you share that. Mm-hmm. And what happens when we begin to share that is you recognize that people are going through the same thing you are. And you're not alone in this. Mm-hmm. And that's scriptural. You know, there is, other than Jesus, yeah. <laughs> no one did God send to be alone. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't think God intends us to walk the Christian journey alone. Mm-hmm. But we've told ourselves, I got this. Yeah. When in reality, we don't, but we just want the world to see or think that we do, or we want ourselves to think that we do. Yeah. Um, And it's a constant thing. I mean, I'm not saying that, you know, recognizing this, I've all of a sudden become a saint. You know, I think anyone in my church or friends or my wife will know that's not the case. Um, 
But I also realized perfection isn't part of who I'm mm-hmm. called to be anymore. Yeah. Um, so it sounds like it's a spiritual practice in and of itself. Yeah, it has to be. Um, because if it's not, it then just becomes me turning into a different me, mm. um, which is probably going to have the same result as I had before. Mm. Um, you know, so that change needed to happen. Um, you know, it's just some other things of importance, um, you know, recognizing that, um, I needed to stop muting my faith. Mm. Um, and I needed to start living that out um, in a way that fit who God made me to be. Um, and that's been very freeing. Mm. Um, it's also been freeing because the response has been, for the most part, you know, a positive one. Um, because people are going through, you know, not the exact same stuff I've gone through, but things like it. Um, and being able to share that, I think, is a spiritual practice. Mm-hmm. But it's one of the harder ones to, to get to mm-hmm. um, because of that trust level. Yeah, I've read a couple of Brene Brown books recently, like in the last six months. Um, and she talks a lot about shame and vulnerability. Mm-hmm. It would be amazing if the church would make vulnerability a spiritual discipline. Mm -hmm. Because then how we deal with each other would transform the world, I think. Yeah. But it would also allow us to heal from our, you know, personal shame, corporate shame, you know, all these different things. And yeah. Yeah. Become a spiritual discipline. Intimacy... You know, non-sexual intimacy is something that men do not Mm. jump to. (laughs) Um, But what I've found in the men that have surrounded me is that it's okay to have that intimacy. And it's also necessary Mm. if you're going to grow. And for me, it's necessary to make sure this make sure Gary doesn't win, <laughs> mm-hmm. um, you know, and within that, you know, at first it would, it took a while to get used to, mm-hmm. but, um, I have no shame anymore in hugging someone and telling them I love them. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, speaking out doesn't scare me as much, um, because I'm okay with being vulnerable. I, once I became okay with who I am, you know, even though I'm a skinny kid with legs that I think are too hairy and, you know, wish that I had more hair on my head, you know, that's okay. Um, you know, but, but once you can become okay with that Mm. is that's the point when God can use it, um, for God's purpose, which is Mm. always better than what I had planned. Yeah. And one of the things that I've found interesting is as people are healing through a lot Mm -hmm. of the stuff that you're talking about, there's a difference between sharing it when you're healing of it, which is usually messy and awkward and generally inappropriate. Right. Yeah. <laughs> like, and not to hide stuff while you're going through it, but at the same time, be very, very careful of what you say mm-hmm. because it probably is not the message that you want to be putting out there. Right. But then once 
once it's been healed and transformed and redeemed, reconciled, whatever word you want to use, it's amazing how it grows and blossoms into something that you could never, like you were saying, imagine on your own. Right. Um, I got to, um, one of the funny things that happened, and I call it funny, I mean, it's really a huge God moment, is, is once I got to the point where I was ready um, to take on another appointment, to get a church again. Um, you know, I had some stipulations. It had to be in a city. Mm. Um, I had to have access to um, meetings I could go to at any point in the day. Um, you know, it also had to be in the city because I have an urban ministry degree. Mm. And mm. that doesn't help when I'm surrounded by cows. Um, because <laughs> um, they've got Jesus. Yes, they do. Well, most of them. Have most been. of them. There are a couple jerks, but <laughs> most are. of them have it. Um, <laughs> um, but the church that I that I was presented with, um, I looked at, and and they had just closed their daycare. Mm-hmm. Um, and there had been dwindling attendance, and um, and I was told, you know, look at it from the view of a new church start. And at the time, I'm like, I don't even know who I am as a pastor anymore. Like, I'm not even sure what's going on, um, which I was okay with because I now had a faith that I could depend on, whereas before it was a faith that I could show to everyone else, which mm-hmm. wasn't really a faith. It was, you know. A song and dance. Yeah. And a pretty good one, I guess. Um, <laughs> convincing, anyway. Yeah, we'll go with convincing. For a while. We'll go, yeah, we'll go with convincing. Um, <laughs> but um, I hadn't decided yet what I was going to do with my anonymity. Um, mm-hmm. And, you know, I looked at this. I went and I met with the people. And, and um, I then got a call and said, well, we found out some information. The appointment can still be yours but there's going to have to be a pay decrease. Are you okay with that? Um, he said, I'm going to give you the weekend to talk to your family. And I don't know why, but I talked to my wife and I said, we can make it through this. I don't know why, but I, I just feel like I want to be here. Um, and I later found out um, just through one night talking with a congregation member that um, Daystar, Center for Spiritual Recovery, mm-hmm. um, which is a uh, rehab for men in addiction, uh, started out of Paxton, Mm. um, but then went away. Um, And at that point, um, as much as I didn't want to, you know, God kind of kicked me in the butt and said, Mm. you know, your anonymity, no, no Mm -hmm. more. Um, And it's made some huge changes um, you know, just in the fact that we're looking at opening up a sober living facility on the church property, mm. um, that that's part of our ministry. Um, and that has had such a huge impact, not only on the church, um, but also on, you know, my life as a pastor um, and recognizing that God does use us, but we need to be open and ready for that. Mm-hmm. Um, and that openness can only happen through that relationship with God. Um, and, you know, to see that come about um, has only reassured my dependence on God. 
um, and no longer is it, you know, in a scary way, you know, it's no longer those only prayers when things are bad or, you know, things like that. It's, it's being intentional about looking for God every day mm -hmm. and not only looking for God, but telling people when you see God in them, um, and telling them, um, and that became part of my spiritual practice and it allowed me to not only recognize, you know, God's work throughout my day, um, but it also gave me the opportunity to stay out of my own head, which is mm -hmm. the scariest place a person can be is alone in your own head. Um, yep. <laughs> because it gets worse and we come yeah. up with worst case scenarios. We're very creative. We are. As and, people. Yes. And we turn and we use assumption as fact. Mm -hmm. You know, if I don't show up, people are going to hate me. If mm -hmm. I say I have to go to church, people are going to think less of me. You don't know that. You're assuming what other people are going to think. Mm -hmm. um, and you're also using your ego pretty much to think that people care that much. <laughs> One of the best lessons I learned is that people don't actually think about me. Right, exactly. Like, you know, so whether my hair is sticking straight up or, you know, I'm wearing a completely and totally ugly outfit, whatever. I'll tell you about care. the outfit, but still, yeah. You know, like people really just don't care because mm -mm. <laughs> they're in their own head thinking about what I'm thinking about them. Right. Um, yeah, doesn't matter. <laughs> you know, and, and, and realizing that, you know, day-to-day -day things that I do can be spiritual practices mm -hmm. um, and that that's what God wants. God wants a personal relationship with me mm -hmm. and that's going to look different than the relationship that God has with you mm -hmm. because we have different strengths and we have different character defects and whatever you want to call them. Mm -hmm. um, so I had to look at what works for me in my relationship with God that also means I had to look at what am I uncomfortable with and why am I uncomfortable with it? Am I uncomfortable with silence because it makes me think about my faults or is it something else? And it came, it normally came back to me and ego, mm -hmm. um, you know, and recognizing that and saying, okay, well then how do I, how do I change that? Um, and for me, it was recognizing that there are always people around to help the one thing you need to do is just be willing to open up and ask. Mm -hmm. um, so when I came to the new church, I found out who like the real hardcore prayer warriors were. Mm -hmm. um, and I made myself accountable to them mm -hmm. um, because that's what I had to do to keep myself mm -hmm. aligning my, my will with God's will. Was that a choice I wanted to make? Oh, hell no. Um, but once I made it, it's one that has given me a chance to breathe mm -hmm. and a chance to be with God and a chance to just be who God wants me to be. Mm -hmm. Um, and to live life on life's terms. Um, and sometimes that means making those choices that are hard, um, but sticking with them um, and letting people know about it so that you can be held accountable. Um, 
And there's a difference. I think one of the hard parts is churches are very good. Christians are very good at judgment. They're not good at accountability. Yeah. Um, mm -hmm. You know, judgment is, you know, you're doing this and you need to change. Accountability is, I think you need to look at this and let's walk down this together. Mm -hmm. um, one of my favorite stories, and it comes from the greatest show ever made, The West Wing. Um, you love The West Wing. I do. Um, and it talks about, uh, and this is what I think God calls us to be as, as Christians, it talks about a man who's walking down the street and he falls into a hole. And the first person that walks by him is a priest. And he yells up to the man, oh, I'm stuck in this hole, get me out. And the priest writes him a beautiful prayer. Um, and he throws it in the hole. He's like, what am I going to do with this? So about five minutes later, a doctor walks by. And he says, help me, I'm stuck in this hole. And the doctor says, well, how, how deep is the hole? And he tells him, and the doctor does the math, and he says, okay. Um, what hurts and the guy tells him what hurts and he writes him a prescription and he throws it down in the hole The guy's like, what am I gonna do with this? So people keep coming by and keep throwing stuff down in the hole and finally a stranger walks by and he Looks down the hole and he says are you okay? And he says yeah, I need help the Guy says all right, I'll be right back and the next thing he knows all he sees is this body flying towards him and this guy falls on top of him. And the guy in the hole goes, what in the hell were you doing? Now we're both stuck in here. And the guy gets, gets up, dusts him up, helps him up. And he says, no, we're fine. I've been in this hole before. I know the way out. Hmm. That's what we're called to do as Christians. It doesn't mean we have to have the right words. It means that we need to make the choice to be there and to be present. Mm -hmm. um, and that includes being present with God as well as being present and accountable with one another. And that's what changes accountability. Um, one of the metaphors that I use on a regular basis is the metaphor of journey. Mm -hmm. And there's a lot of stuff that has, I'll say, been given to the under 40 crowd that doesn't fit anymore. Like what i know <gasps> gasp um but like heaven is really the the goal mm -hmm. whereas if that was the case why did jesus show up in flesh right so yeah instead of heaven being the destination or the goal it's more for me about the journey right and how do we walk the journey and how do we help others walk the journey and in that, where do we see God in surprising places? Right. And how do we help people get out of holes that we may have been in, although we don't completely understand right. the situation that or the feelings, but it's like, hey, you know what? It's going to be all right. We'll do this together yeah. in some way. And, and I think that's the, the difference between accountability and judgment. Mm -hmm. Accountability means... Yeah, you're messing this up, but I'm going to walk with you till we get it right. Mm -hmm. Judgment is, yeah, you're a failure. And that's it. That's it. Done. Period. End of sentence. Yeah. Um, and I think that's a change that has that had to happen in my life. Mm -hmm. um, and now that as I see it as a pastor, needs to change in the life of whatever mm -hmm. church I am at. Um, or whatever, also whatever way I carry myself mm -hmm. out into the world. Um, you know, yeah, because judgment leads to shame, 
and shame leads to, you know, I think Brene Brown says the two questions or statements of shame are, I am not good enough. And then the question is, who do you think you are? If you can get through the, I'm not good enough, mm -hmm. who do you think you are? Right. Um, and judgment, whether it's from ourselves or from others, fits into one of those categories and creates shame. And then we close ourselves off and it's bad news. Yep. Because we tend to be our hardest critics mm -hmm. and our meanest critics. Um, and I'm saying that from someone who's currently getting death threats from white supremacy groups. Awesome. But I am still, oh, I enjoy it. Um, but I'm still my hardest critic. Mm -hmm. um, and I will beat myself up over something if I allow myself to do that. But I also recognize that I have a choice whether or not to do that. Um, and sometimes that choice involves me calling someone saying, you know what, can you pray with me? I keep, I can't mm. get this out of my head and I really need to. Mm. Um, it scary in another form. Yeah. Um, it allowed, you know, being that vulnerability, mm. um, shows itself in so many different ways that once you're open to it, um, you know, you can sit with someone, um, who is dying, um, and, be there, but also allow yourself in that vulnerability to grieve with the family, which previously I never allowed myself to do. So I would carry all of these deaths with me and just bottle them up. Mm. Um, and I think people don't deal with death the way that pastors do, but I think we deal with it in other ways. Mm -hmm. um, and we just keep it bottled up and never recognize that we can let it go. And that God wants us to let it go. And that, you know, sometimes I think God is just standing, you know, wherever going, really? Like, I, I don't want you to do this. Stop it. Um, but that's hard for us. Mm -hmm. um, and that, you know, that practical part. I think somewhere I may have had the misconception that practicality and spiritual practices don't go together. <laughs> Um, because they didn't for me for yeah. a long time. Um, you know, mm -hmm. I was the last class to take typewriters. Mm -hmm. I don't journal because my handwriting looks like my son's who's six. <laughs> um, <laughs> you know, so, so how do I change that and make mm -hmm. it practical for me? Mm -hmm. There's nothing wrong with that. That's what, that's what every pastor should be encouraging their congregation mm -hmm. to do. And if, and if they're not, I will tell you this, find another church. Um, you heard it here first, friends. <laughs> um, but yeah, I think, you know, vulnerability becomes a part of that in growing closer to God. It is on this note of vulnerability that we end our podcast for today. I hope you have received some encouragement and compassion from listening to Brent and his journey and how through the 12-step program, he has come to terms with a lot of his stuff and really getting a deeper relationship with God and what that looks like for him and how it did require a really strong look at his life, at his stuff, and what brought him closer to God and what didn't and the priorities that he was willing to put into place to become the person that he wanted to be. 
I am grateful for Brent and his time and honesty in this interview. And I hope that it has brought you something of encouragement and and joy, knowing that we all struggle and we are all in this together on this wild ride uh, called life. May you be blessed. And until next time, I am Reverend Karen Weiss, your host. Grace and peace.